Heavenly Father, we do thank you and we praise you for your word. And we thank you that you are such a great and an awesome God. And we thank you, Lord, for just the example of the way that you use your word to just transform lives. Lord, I pray that would happen here in this room this morning. That just as the paralytic man is going to be touched and healed, that, Father, there may be many here this morning, Lord, who need to be touched by you. That, Father God, that they too are are caught up in, and are hurting, Father God. And I pray, Lord, that you would touch them, Father God, and restore their lives and just transform them. And Father, I pray, Lord, again, that you would be our teacher by the power of your Holy Spirit. May we be receptive to hear from you. May it not be the words of men, but Father God, that you again would be our, your, our teacher, Lord, through the power of your spirits. Lord, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said... Amen. As we get to John chapter 5 this morning, we're going to continue to look at the power of God's Word. You know, God's Word is delivered to those typically, and we're going to see this all over the Bible, that God's Word is delivered to people who are in a place of desperation. And the reality is that every person on this planet is desperate for God, whether they know it or not. But the, the, quite often what you see happen first before you see somebody receptive to the Word is they are brought to the end of themselves. And we've seen this example as we've gone through John 3 and John 4 in the examples of the people that Jesus ministered to. We began with Nicodemus, and we, we titled the messages The Missing Link. The, the missing link between sinful man and holy God. That there's a link between, Nic- whether it be Nicodemus, this most religious man of the day. He was a ruler of the Jews, the Bible says. No doubt a member of the, uh, the ruling Sanhedrin. A man who people would look up to as a religious leader and a spiritual man. But he too, even though he was a religious leader, even though from the world's perspective he was a holy man, he still came to Jesus by night. First episode of Nick at Night, as we've talked about, right? He came to Jesus by night, Nicodemus, and he said to him, he was going to say to him, he didn't have a chance to ask the question, but what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, it says in the text, answered his question even before he asked it. And he told Nicodemus, you must be born again. So even if you're the most religious person on the planet, even if you're somebody who's holy from the world's perspective, even if you're somebody who's a, a ruler of the Jews, somebody who's high, highly esteemed from men, the answer is still true that you need Jesus Christ. Then we moved from there, we moved on to the woman at the well. And if you have a a religious man or a spiritual man or a holy man from the world's perspective, the woman at the well would be the exact opposite of that. She was from the world's perspective an immoral woman. You know, we've heard the story of the good Samaritan. She would be the bad Samaritan, okay? She was a Samaritan woman and she was a woman whose life was a mess, She'd been married five times, and now she was living with a man that was not her husband. And she went out to the well during the noon, hot noonday sun. And you know what? If you live in the desert, the last time you want to go fetch water is during the heat of the day. But this woman was out there because she had been married five times, and now she was living with a man who was not her husband. And her life was a disaster, and she was caught up in immoral living, and she, she just avoided the ridicule of the world. And so she would go out in the noonday sun to fetch water, and we know that as she was out fetching that water, there was a divine appointment waiting for her. Jesus Christ showed up, and I love that Nicodemus came to the Lord, but the Lord came to the woman at the well. And the woman at the well, this immoral, ungodly woman from the world's perspective, this woman in desperate need, was there fetching water, and the Lord told her, you know what, if if you'd ask of me, I'd give you living water. And she, like Nicodemus, when Jesus told him, you must be born again, he said, can I crawl back a second time into my mother's womb? He looked at it from a physical perspective. And so too did the woman at the well. She said, well, you know, give me this water that I'll never have to come out here and and fetch water anymore. I don't like coming out here in the noonday sun and carrying this big pitcher. You know, give me some of that living water so I won't have to come out here anymore. 
But the Lord was speaking to her from a spiritual perspective. And what's awesome to me is you see an immediate transformation through the Word of God in the life of this woman. Because she goes from being this immoral woman who's out there fearing people, and she runs back into Samaria, and she looks at Jesus, and first she calls him rabbi, then she calls him sir, then she calls him prophet, and then ultimately she says the Christ. And then she runs back into Samaria and brings the whole town out with her to meet Jesus. This woman whose life was a mess, this woman who avoided people, becomes an awesome witness for God. Why? Because Jesus had spoke to her and his word had transformed her life. So whether you're the most religious person of the day like Nicodemus or the most ungodly and immoral woman from the world's perspective, you still have the same desperate need, and the need is Jesus Christ. And then lastly, last week, we saw one more person coming in desperation to the Lord, and it was the nobleman. And if you remember the story from last week, he came, and this man of power, this man of position, this man of prestige, you know what? He was desperate. Why? Because his power, his position, his money couldn't help him because his son was dying. He was brought to the end of himself, and he realized, you know what? All my money and all my power and everything that I have will do me no good because my son is dying. You can't pay enough money to save him. There's not a doctor around that can touch him. My power, nothing can help him. And so because of that, he comes to the Lord, and he's desperate for him, and he says, please, he begs him, implores him, urges him, please, come and see my son. And as we saw last week, the transformation of his faith, that he went from what I called crisis faith. You know, it's interesting to me that, that quite often that's when people come to the Lord. Times of desperation. Crisis Christians. You know, on the cruise ship to heaven when everything's good, don't really have time for God right now, then things get difficult, and we come and we cry out to the Lord. And I've counseled with people to say, you know, God, man, a lot of stuff going on in my life right now, man. It's really difficult. I'm like, well, maybe it's because the Lord loves you and he hasn't seen you in a while and he wants to see you. And you know what? You're a crisis Christian. You only come to him in times of difficulty. It's amazing how much difficulty there is in your life right now. God loves you guys and he wants to draw you into himself. And so he comes in this crisis situation and says, please, will you heal my son? Now we know how did the Lord heal him? The same way that he transformed the life of of Nicodemus, the same way that he transformed the life of the woman at the well, he spoke his word. And he said, you know what, go, your son's been made well. And we see that this crisis faith became confident faith. Because when the Lord spoke to him, he went away and went home believing that Jesus' words were true. And this crisis faith that became Confident faith became confirmed faith because when he came home, he saw that indeed his son had been made well. And he inquired of his family, when did, when did this happen? And it was at the very hour that Jesus spoke the word. And, he, and boy, you know what is incredible? Is this crisis faith that became confident faith, that became confirmed faith, became contagious faith. Because his entire family got saved. And you know what? The best thing that ever happened to that nobleman was his son getting sick. Because if his son had not been sick, he would have not come to the Lord in desperation. And sometimes we go through trials in life and God is wanting to break us and bring us to the end of ourselves so that we'll stop looking at our circumstances. We'll stop trusting in our bank account. We'll stop trusting in our own abilities and we'll get our eyes up here. I used to tell the kids in youth group all the time, as a a youth pastor for almost 15 years, I used to tell the kids, you know what guys, as your pastor, what I really want to do is get you to quit looking this way from side to side and get you looking up. Get your eyes off the world and get your eyes on Jesus. And you know what? If difficulty must come to bring us to that place, then bring it on. 
And so we're going to move on and look at yet another person today. We're going to continue to see the power of God's word. Just as it transformed the life of Nicodemus, a religious man. Just as it transformed the life of this immoral woman at the well. And just as it transformed the life of a man who from the world's perspective had it all going on. It brought him to a place of desperation and God transformed him. So too he's going to touch this man, this paralytic man we're going to look at this morning. So this morning we're going to see transformation in the life of a crippled man. And then we're also going to see the Jew response to the word of God even though they're desperate in need of him they don't realize it and they oppose and reject him so let's begin in verse 1 of John chapter 5 we're going to see Jesus minister to a lame man verse 1 after this there was a feast of the Jews and the G- and Jesus went up to Jerusalem now it's interesting to me that the feast as we looked at on Wednesday night those of you who are here that God desires that we would take time to be away with him You know, he gave us the Sabbath for a reason. We're going to look at that in a moment. He wants us to take time to put away all the cares of the world and spend time with the Lord. And you know what? We can all probably get up. I could probably go around the room and people could stand up and say, you know what? There were times when I got so busy with my job, I didn't go to church. Or I got so busy with things I was pursuing. And you know what? My walk with God started to fall apart. The Bible says, forsake not the gathering of yourselves together. And along with that Sabbath, there's also these feasts where they would come up for an entire week and put away the harvest and put away the plowing and put away everything else that they would be doing and spend time with the Lord unhurried. And you know what? God desires that we have that same thing in our lives as well. Getting away. It's amazing to me how in youth group, God would just do miraculous things and we'd get away for a week with our kids on a retreat. I want to encourage you, pray about coming to the men's retreat, the women's retreat, the the couple's retreats. Why? Because when we turn off the TV and we put everything else away and we spend one-on-one time with God, He does great things. Well, one of these feasts was at hand in Jerusalem, and Jesus went up to the feast. And I just love the fact that our, our Lord went up to the feast. Now, it doesn't mention which feast it is. It may very well have been the Feast of Pentecost. We don't know for sure. But it would really tie in to what's going on here in the text. So this celebration, that now Pentecost, when we think of Pentecost, we think of the New Testament Pentecost of Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit fell upon the church. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, it talked about the promise of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit fell upon them. And they received power from on high. The word for power there is dunamis. It's where we get dynamite. And that's where the church just really started to explode because it was being led by and filled with and guided by the power of the Holy Spirit. But Pentecost was a feast that existed long before that. Penta meaning 50. It was 50 days after Passover. And it was in celebration of the giving of the law unto Moses. And so when they would come up for the feast of Pentecost, it was in remembrance of the fact that God gave them the law. Now, the law exist, as the Bible says, it's a taskmaster or a schoolmaster that leads us to the cross. When we look at the law, it's a mirror that shows us that we are sinners in desperate need of a Savior. And our Lord goes up, it's the feast, it's a feast quite possibly at Pentecost, and they go up to, up to Jerusalem. And I love here that it says up to Jerusalem. Those of you, by the way, we're going to be going to Israel in, in about 14 months. I want to encourage you to come. March of 2004, we'll have the final dates this week. And you know what? When you go to Jerusalem, you truly do go up to Jerusalem. It's elevated. And no matter which direction you come from, you go up to Jerusalem. And I think it's only fitting that you would go up to the place of sacrifice, up to the place of offering, up to the place of worship. And so Jesus went up to Jerusalem there for the feast, most likely, of Pentecost. And again, always up to this place of sacrifice. Verse 2. Now there, there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. Now, sheep gate. 
It's interesting, again, when I was, I was just in Israel about seven weeks ago, and I was sitting at this very spot at the Pool of Bethesda. I was sitting and looking right at the, the uncovered ruins of the Pool of Bethesda where this very story took place. And when we go, we'll be sitting there, and I'll be teaching you guys this chapter as we sit and look at the very spot where it happened. I tell you, the ultimate, the ultimate uh, Bible retreat is not only hearing the Word of God taught, but being able to look and see the place. But the Sheep Gate, it's interesting, was where the sacrifices were brought into Jerusalem. The sacrifices of the sheep were brought in for sacrifice, and they came in through the Sheep Gate. And if you go there even now, it's been renamed, but the, there's a gate that's right behind where the Pool of Bethesda is, where the Sheep Gate would have been. Now, Bethesda means House of Grace. And so we see here that right where this place where the, the, the sacrifices are brought in, there's the house of grace. And then it says there that there were five porches. And these porches were basically covered decks that were held up by columns. So let me set the scene for you real quick. It's, it's Pentecost, more than likely, time of giving the law. The five porches, where do we see five in the Bible? We see it in the law of Moses, right? If this is Pentecost... You know, it's the time of giving the law, and we see the five porches, a representation of the Pentateuch, right? The first five books of the Bible, a picture of the law. And so as they sit there in this place, which is a picture of the law during this time in celebration of the giving of the law, we see also that a picture of grace. So here's the law before them, and, and these, this, these porches would cover them, but it would not heal them. They were being covered by these porches, but these porches could not heal them. So what they did is they were sitting and looking at this waters. we'll see in the next verse, and we're going to see a picture of God's grace. Here's the sheep gate where the sacrifices were brought in, and Bethesda means house of grace. So here we have the law and grace. And you know what? That's what we need, you guys. Amen? The law reveals our need for a Savior. Without the law, without conviction, there'll be no conversion. And so the law reveals to us that we're sinners, desperate for Him. But then what's great is that we see God's grace. And we're going to see that here as we look at the text this morning. Now it's interesting that they came through the sheep gate and Jesus was referred to by, what, was, what did John the Baptist call him at the baptism? He said, behold what? The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So here we are, the sheep gate, the place where the sacrifices come forth. We have Jesus coming on the scene. These people are sitting around and look, take a look at verse 3 and 4. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water, that whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease that he had. Now, what a pitiful sight this must have been. Imagine coming in and this porch and it's all covered all the way around and you've got these columns and, and it's the place of the law and the pent- and here we are and people are waiting in desperate, in sickness and in illness, looking down, waiting for the stirring up of the water. Now there's some, I'll be honest with you, there's some controversy about whether there was really an angel that came and stirred it up or if it was just a, something that bubbled and people went in by, based on their own belief were healed. You know what I believe? Whenever I see the Bible, I take the Bible for the Bible. If the Bible says it, that's good enough for me. So I believe an angel was stirring it up. There it is, because that's what the Bible says. So I, that's where I'm at. All right? Now here's what happened. is The people were there waiting. Can you imagine, though, that it says at a certain time. Now we don't know how often. It doesn't look like it happened daily. It may have happened at each feast time. Who knows? But can you imagine all the crowds of people that are there desperate to be healed? Imagine the blind man. This guy's out of luck. 
I mean, what are the chances of you being able to see the water being stirred first? Probably not going to happen. All you're going to hear is all the people diving in. Now it's too late, right? <laughs> then, then, then even as de- just as desperate would be the lame man. And we're going to see this lame man. Can you imagine being the lame man? You're sitting on this pallet. You're, you're waiting for the water to stir. It stirs it. What am I going to do, right? I can't get up and walk in there anyway, right? But they're still there showing their desperation. They're like, you know, we know that hope is here. And maybe, just maybe, one of the times I'll accidentally get in for something will happen. But you see this competition and this desire. I've got to be in in there first. And so this pitiful scene, all these people surrounding the pool, just in hopes that their life might be touched, that they might be healed, that they might be transformed. But what a desperate sight it must have been. Again, sheltered and covered, but not healed. And again, the word there means a deep pool that bubbles up. And, and I, I love the word for angel there, it's angelos, and it means a messenger, especially an angel, and by implication it can also be translated a pastor, someone who's called by God to minister to people. And I love this because I love this picture, you see these people diseased and desperate, people under the law, but still in need of healing. And they're in this place of this house of grace. But notice that the healing only comes by the stirring of the water. Those of you that we've been here, you know that the water, as we looked at in chapter 4, the living water is what? The Holy Spirit. And isn't it true that people that are diseased and desperate, people that are under the law, what do they need? They need to be stirred up and drawn by what? The power of the Holy Spirit into a place of salvation. And here we clearly see this picture as the water is stirred up that they are drawn unto Him. And that's what needs to happen in the life of every man, woman, and child on this planet. The water, again, being the living water or the Holy Spirit. Every man, woman, and child on this planet is under the law. What does the law do? It reveals we're sinners in need of a Savior. If you're here this morning and you haven't heard it before, I just want to let you know, you are a sinner. Amen? Oh, pastors don't say that, because if you say that, people want to come back. Don't tell them they're sinners. Guess what, guys? Sinners. All of you. Amen? Me too. Right? Paul said, I'm chief of sinners. Here's the reality. When I look at you guys, you look pretty good to me, right? You guys, you know, you look pretty good. And, you know, I'm not at your house during the week, so I, but see, I know my own life, and I know my own thought life, and I know my own struggles, and I know that I'm I'm a desperate sinner in need of a Savior. And that's who every one of us is. And we're just like those people around that pool. We're lame, we're blind, we're broken, we're paralyzed. Why? Because of our sin. And the law has revealed to us our sin. But here's the good news. We don't have to stay in our sin. And you know what? Most of us in this room have not because of the healing touch of Jesus Christ. It, they were there. They're in need of healing, but they can only come through the stirring of the Holy Spirit. And again, the healing water came only to the first one in. And imagine that incredible scene that every time it was stirred up, imagine the mad dash. Yet remaining there, again, desperate for hope, these, these people who could not come in. Verse 5. Now there was a certain man who was there who had an infirmity 38 years. Now, the length of this man's sickness was incredible and would confirm the genuineness of his healing. All would be familiar with it. You know, if a man's been sitting there, if a man's been lame and he's been in the city for 38 years, no doubt most people had at least walked by him once or twice, had at least seen this man and knew of his plight, knew the fact that he indeed was a lame man and that he needed a healing touch. And here he was, no doubt, seated at the pool of Bethesda. And you can imagine people walking by. And it's interesting when you walk by, it's kind of elevated. You can look down on it. As people would walk by and they saw the, those people surrounding it, it was incredible just to see those people there that were in desperate need. And this man was one of them. And for 38 years, he'd been struggling. Now, it's also interesting to me, though, that I believe that this, 
I, I typed in 38 years in my, in my computer, and the only other place in the Bible where you see 38 years listed, along with this man's infirmity for 38 years, is it says in Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 14, that Israel wandered during their time of wandering in the wilderness between Kadesh Barnea and Zored was 38 years. And Kadesh Barnea means desert, and Zored means death. And so for 38 years, they wandered in this wilderness. And so too, I believe that this could be a picture of where Israel is, just like this lame man. Because when we come to this point, Israel has turned its back on God. Israel has become filled with hypocrisy. What did Jesus do? Remember, he came into the temple. The first thing he did when he came into Jerusalem, what did he do? He made a whip of cords and he drove the people out of the temple. They turned his father's house into a den of thieves. They'd become filled with hypocrisy and self-righteous living. They thought that they were holy in and of themselves. They were looking for a Messiah to come to rule and reign and conquer. The reality is they were lame, they were blind, and they were paralyzed. And they too needed to be touched. They needed to be drawn by the Holy Spirit. And Israel was a mess. And here comes Jesus Christ, the answer for both the layman, the answer for the children of Israel, and the answer for each one of us in the room this morning. We need Jesus, you guys. Amen? We need Jesus. We need to be touched by Him. We need to be transformed by His Word. Israel, again, under the law, spiritually lame, in the need of God's grace, and looking for the wrong answer. They still are today. It's interesting to me when I was there. You know, you see people that look like Pharisees even now. They walk around with the black robes and the, you know, the curls and the big hats. And, and the reality is that they go and they pray and they, you know, and they, and they, they pray with vain repetition. And you know what? There's no hope. And they keep saying, well, the Messiah is going to come and bring us peace. Well, the one that's going to come and bring you the kind of peace that you, you're going to be duped by is not the Messiah. It's going to be the Antichrist. He's going to restore the temple. You have no idea how desperate people are. That's the, 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 the mount is just incredible, the, where, where everything's fi- everybody's fighting over it. And you know what? They're looking forward to the day when it's going to be taken back from the Muslims, and we're going to be back in our, our power and position. And you know what? It's going to be Antichrist that's going to dupe them. They need Jesus, and we need Jesus. We don't need a, a physical touch. We need a spiritual transformation. Verse 6, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? Now, you would think that this would be a pretty easy question to answer. The Lord comes and says to him, do you want to be made well? Well, let me think about it. I've been laying here for 38 years. And, you know, if I didn't want to be made well, do you think I'd be hanging around by the pool of Bethesda, you know, watching everybody else jumping in front of me just in hopes that maybe someday I would be the one that would get touched. Yeah, yeah, right? But here's the thing. Sadly, this man doesn't get the gist of the question. And I actually love the fact that God, that Jesus quite often asks people to do things that are seemingly impossible. We're going to see that in just a minute. But he says to him, do you want to be made well? And I, you know what? I want to ask you this morning. Do you want to be made well? Maybe you're here this morning and your life's a mess. Do you want to be made well? And I want to show you in a moment, it's very simple. It's not you doing a bunch of good works. It's not you striving and achieving. It's just you allowing God to touch you and transform your life, because He will. He loves you guys very, very much. So Jesus comes to the one who seems to be the most hopeless of them all. Someone who had been brought to the pool by his friends, but no one had stayed there to carry him in. And, not just, and I want to say this, that we're going to see this in the next verse. That God has called us not to just bring people to church and leave them there. You know what? God calls us to make not converts, but disciples of all nations. Go therefore into all the world and preach the gospel, right? Making disciples. He doesn't say make converts. 
And one of the things I love about what God's doing here at Calvary Santa Cruz, you know, we're still a fairly new church, but I love the fact that healthy sheep beget healthy sheep. And most of you are here because somebody else loved you enough to invite you and just has ministered to you. And the number one thing I hear is that, man, the people there just love each other. And that's the way it ought to be. And so this man was brought to the pool, but there was yet no one there to lift him in. The Lord says to him, do you want to be made well? But look at verse 7. The sick man said, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool where the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Like Nicodemus, like the woman at the well, he responds to, to Jesus' words from a physical perspective rather than a spiritual one. You know what? Before we're born again, we have one concern. It's for our own physical shortcomings. You know what? I hear this all the time. Well, yeah, but I, I've got a drinking problem. But don't tell me about Jesus, man. Get me into a program. You know, I, I, you know give me some money. When we were down at the vet's hall, that was a weekly occurrence. People would come in, I'd say, man, you know what, the Lord loves you, He can deliver you from this, man. Let me pray for you. Oh, man, you know, I, I, I just need a, I need a bed, I need a place to stay, I, you know, give me some money, get me into a program, that's what I really need. And there's what the man is saying to the Lord, you know, I need to get into the pool. Did the Lord say, He said, do you want to be made well? He didn't say, do you want a hand into the pool? He said, do you want to be made well? You don't need the pool. You don't need the program. I'm here. Son of the living God, Alpha and Omega, creator of the universe. And too often we think that Jesus alone is not sufficient. Well, I need to get into the program. I need to have these other things that will help me. You know, Lord, and the Lord's standing right there saying, you know what? I spoke the stars into the sky. I can hook you up. Amen? I can take care of you. I can take care of your problem. I'm God, creator of the universe. And too often, well, that's just too easy. I've had people tell me, you know, Pastor Dave, that's a trite answer. Well, I just need to pray. Oh, that's just too simple. You know what? You find someone who spends their life, uh, spends time on their knees. People who seek after God. People who spend time in His presence, spend time in His Word. And you'll be amazed at how mighty our God is. Amen? How, you know what? He can do all things. He can do incredible and great things. He thinks that he needs to be carried physically when what he needed was to be transformed spiritually. Not cleansed and then come to Jesus, but come to Jesus and then you'll be cleansed. You know what? I'd love to come to church, but I've got to quit smoking, man. As soon as I quit smoking, then I'll come to church. You know, as soon as I get rid of this drinking problem, you know, I'm struggling with pornography. I've got problems in my marriage. As soon as I get those things fixed, then I'll come to church. That's like saying I need to, I need to you know, wash up before I jump into the shower. That makes no sense. You know what? It's in our weakness and our frailty that we need to come to the Lord desperate for Him and say, Lord, it's not because I'm clean that I come to you. It's because I need to be made clean that I come to you. Amen? And so this man is looking for the program. Instead of responding, yes, yeah, I want to be made healed, what does he do? He makes excuses. He said, do you want to be made well? Well, you know, I I don't got anybody to carry me into the water. You know... And just like the world today, when given the gracious truth of the gospel, or when invited to come to church, what do they do? They make excuses. Well, yeah, but you know, I've got this going on, and you know, I've got these other things I need to do. You know what, man? Trust that God can transform your life. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. We don't need anything else. Amen? You won't realize that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. Amen? And we need to come to the point where we're not looking for anything else. Just come say, Lord, I want to know you. I want to see you. I want to be touched by you. I want your words to transform my life. Look how Jesus ministers to the man. And Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed, and walk. He ministers to him through his word. You know what? Christ's words work his will. 
Remember the story we're going to see in John chapter 11, where Jesus says to Lazarus, guy's dead, right? He's dead. And they come to him and say, you know, my brother's sick. You might want to come. You know, Lord, if you could come now, it would be good. And the Lord waits four more days, right? And then he shows up, and they're like, oh, if you'd have come, he's dead now. It's too late. And I love that, I love that the Lord waited because his greatest glory would be made manifest with Lazarus being dead. And what happens? Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus comes hopping out of the tomb in his grave clothes. That's exactly what happened. Now, he said, Lazarus, come forth, because if he said, come forth, every dead person who ever died would have got up out of the ground. That's a fact, because he has triumphed over sin and death. If he said, come forth, everybody would have got up. But he said, Lazarus, come forth. Through his word, he works his will. He's almighty God. He can do anything. And too often we say, well, Lord, you know, I need, I need something else. I need this, I need that. Instead of just looking to the Lord, instead of just trusting in Him alone, instead of seeking Him alone, we try to put limits on what God can do. I love, again, that He commands people to do the impossible. You know what? God will do things in our life sometimes that seem impossible. Here's what I want you to do. Oh, Lord. Come on now. That's a little much. Kind of like Pastor Don saying, Dave, I want you to go to Santa Cruz and start a church. Oh, Lord. Come on now. But you know what? God's hand was in it. And God is faithful. Not Santa Cruz, man. Oh, man. The tofu today. Oh, man. Come on. Not that place. But here's the reality. God is so faithful that God goes before us. And Santa Cruz means Holy Cross. And I believe that God wants to do a mighty work and make this place mean Holy Cross once again. Can God bring revival to Santa Cruz County? Absolutely. He raised a dead man from the, de- from the grave. He's going to heal this lame man. And you know what? He can bring Santa Cruz to become a place that is known for loving Jesus Christ. But it's got to start with each one of us. Amen? Revival starts in our hearts first. And watch what God will do. And so Jesus ministers to the man through his word. And he says to him, rise. Leave your sickness behind. Take up your bed. Make no provision to go back. He says, you know what? Not only are you going to get up, but pick your bed up. You're not going to need that anymore. Pick that thing up and take it with you. You're not going back here anymore. You know what? He who the sun sets free is free indeed. Amen? And so often we say, well, wait a minute. You know, I've got a lot of other things I need. You know, that just seems too simple to me. The lame man had two choices. Obey his command or argue with him. Not believing the command, not believing the word of God. You know what? I've shared with people, you know what? The Lord wants to touch your life. and tra- Pastor, you don't understand. You don't understand my background, man. It won't work for me. Uh, you, know, you don't know how hard I've already tried myself. You don't know how many books I've read. You don't know how much money I've spent. You don't know how many programs I've been involved in. You don't know how many meetings I go to every week. Nothing's working. Duh. Nothing's working. That's why you need Jesus. Amen? It's not working because you're trying to do it. You're trying to do it in your ability. You're you're waiting for a man to pick you up and throw you in the pool. Don't look for a man. Look for the Savior. You know what? We don't, and you know what? I know this offends some people, but I love you guys. I hope you know that. We don't need 12 steps. We need one. Now, God has done things for people's lives through his 12-step program, so let me just tell you that I believe and I know that that's true. But he hasn't done it because of the program. He's done it in spite of the program. We need Jesus Christ, him crucified and risen from the dead. You know what? When he died on the cross, he said, it is finished. He didn't say you've got to do these 11 or 14 or 27 things, and then you'll be saved. He didn't say that. He said, it's finished. It's done. Come to me, all you who labor, labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And sadly, many people trade one addiction for another. They go from struggling with alcohol to going to 75 meetings a week so they don't drink. Well, that's not being delivered from your problem. You need Jesus Christ to touch you and transform your life. And you know what? Can he heal us of that? 
And you know what? Let me just say this. It's not a disease, and it's not an addiction. It's sin. And we choose to sin. Amen? You know, now this isn't Pastor Dave being hard on you. I love you guys, but we need to get to the point where we realize we're sinners in desperate need of a Savior. And until we realize that, we won't cry out to Him. And so we see here that, you know, we can make excuses. We can say, well, you know, this is too simple. There's got to be more to it. But the Lord didn't help him into the water. He didn't give him a bunch of steps to recovery. He said, rise, take up your bed, and walk. He ministered to him through his word, and his life was transformed. And there's no job, there's no man, there's no relationship, there's no therapist. Hey, guys, might as well just bring it all out, right? Hey, here's the reality. You don't need to go to a therapist, okay? If you're in therapy, you don't need therapy. doesn't work. Why? Because the Bible says in Psalm 1 to walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. Christian psychology is like, as I heard on a tape this week, kosher pork, right? It doesn't work. Psychology says esteem self. You need to esteem yourself. You, you know, you've got your inner struggles. It's all your parents' fault. It's a disease that you have. It's this addiction you're on. Oh, stop it. You're a sinner in desperate need of a Savior. The Bible says deny self. The world says esteem self. The Bible says deny self. You need to deny yourself, realize you're a sinner, and cry out to God. And watch what He will do. Come to the mighty counselor. Why would you go to somebody whose own life has been such a mess, they've been through so much counseling, they became a counselor? Why would you go to them instead of coming to the creator of the universe? But that sadly is what is happening in the, in the church today. There's so many people that go and seek counsel from the world instead of coming unto the Lord. Walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. We're sinners in desperate need of repentance. Corey Timboom again said, We won't realize that Christ is all we need until Christ is all that we have. Verse, nine, verse 8, and immediately, verse 9, and immediately the man was made well. He took up his bed and walked, and that day was the Sabbath. He responded to the word of God, and he, immediately he was made well. Well, yeah, but Jesus spoke directly to him. If Jesus spoke directly to me, then I'm sure my life would be transformed too. But, you know, the Lord's not here, and he, you know, he told the guy to get up, and if the Lord told me to get up, I'd get up. You know what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 7? Behold, I have come in the volume of the book. What book is he talking about? This one right here. You know what? When you're struggling, don't run to a therapist. Read your Bible. Amen? Is this book sufficient to take care of every struggle that man can go through? The answer is absolutely you know what, we say, well, no, we need, we need human, humanistic involvement. You know, we need, psycholo- we need to diagnose our problems. Let me diagnose it for you. You're a sinner in need of a Savior. Amen? Come and run to Him. He will transform your life. I'm amazed. You know, it's been said that sin will keep you from this book or this book will keep you from sin. Amen? And when you're struggling, we, we want to try to find other ways to find hope. But I want you to know that our hope is in Christ and He can take care of any struggle or problem that you may have. People say again that the Bible's not sufficient. But let me read Psalm 1 to you real quickly. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. It says, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth 
its fruit in season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. How do you have a life that bears much fruit? You meditate on the law day and night. You don't run and seek counsel from the world. You run to the mighty counselor. And what happens? You meditate on his law day and night. You can't meditate on something that you don't read. Amen? You know what? We may spend 40 hours a week watching the window into hell in the corner of our living room, and it's not going to do us much good. Amen? God desires so much that we come and spend time in His Word, and He'll transform our lives. 2 Peter 1, verse 3 says, His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him. Where does the divine power, where do we have, where are we given all things through the knowledge of Him? You need an answer for, man, what, Lord, what do you want me to do in my life? Seek Him. He'll show you. Lord, who am I supposed to marry? Who am I supposed to spend the rest of my life with? Seek the Lord. He'll show you. Lord, what job do you want me to have? Lord, I'm praying about, Lord, should I take this job? Should I take this transfer? Lord, seek the Lord. Ask Him. Lord, I'm struggling with sin in my life. Seek the Lord. Ask for Him to help you. He will. He's a great and an awesome God who cares about you. Again, Sin will keep you from this book, or this book will keep you from sin. Verse 10. The Jews therefore said to him, who was cured, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. Now how much comedy is this? This guy's been laying on his pallet for 38 years. He gets healed. He's probably dancing down the street. He's probably skipping down the street, right? You've been sitting for 38 years, and the, the Jews show up and go, Hmm, you know it's the Sabbath, don't you? You're not supposed to be carrying your bed. What is up with that? These guys were way more concerned with, about the, with the law and legalism and rules than they cared about people. You know, we have a six-fold uh, synopsis or words for ministry. People ask me, Pastor Dave, what's your third ministry? It's preach the word, love the people. Ministry is people. And as soon as you lose sight of that, you've missed it. And these guys were the religious leaders of the day, and for them it was all about keeping the rules. Now, the reality is that nowhere in the Bible does it put the, such heavy limitations on the Sabbath. The Jews cared only about the law, not about the man being healed. And it's amazing how ingrained these traditions can become. Traditions of men supplanting the Word of God. The Sabbath day was supposed to be a day of rest. It had become a day of burden. The Lord had given it so people could rest and spend time in His presence. And they came out with 30, there's 23 chapters in the Mishnah of rules about things you can't do on the Sabbath. Thanks a lot. So what happens is, on the Sabbath, everybody's, I can't do anything. They couldn't wear their false teeth because that was considered carrying a, a burden. So, th- oh, great, so it's my day of rest, I, got, I can't eat, right? I've got to gum my teeth. If you had a wooden leg, you had to take your wooden leg off because you'd be carrying a burden on the Sabbath day. You couldn't take a bath because if water spilled out on the floor, that was considered washing the floor. So you couldn't bathe. So you had a bunch of people with no teeth limping around, smelling bad on the Sabbath. Right? I mean, it turned from a day of rest into this heavy-duty burden. And even now in Jerusalem, in Sabbath day, on Shabbat, as they call it, you go down, and if you drove your car through certain cities, they would stone you to death. You know, for driving your car on the Sabbath day. It's become a day of burden, not a day of rest. These guys were pouring burdens on people, but Jesus said, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Not a burden. He wants to take your burden from you, not to give a burden to you. You know, the Lord doesn't want to heap heavy stuff on you and make it impossible for you to, to keep His rules and His law. He wants you just to fall in love with Him, and He wants to take the burden from you. 
That's what our, our God desires to do. Resting in Christ removes the burden and gives us peace. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Verse 11, And he answered them and said, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. And they asked him and said, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. I find this very interesting, that this man had been healed, and he didn't even know who healed him. This is a picture of God's grace. This man didn't keep a bunch of rules. This man didn't crawl on on his knees to Mecca on broken glass to prove his love for God. This man simply was a man desperate to be touched, and Jesus Christ showed up. This is a picture of grace. We've said it before, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. Not our expense, at Christ's expense. He paid the price. He's the one that restores us. He's the one that touches us when in this place of desperation. And here's this lame man, and he doesn't even know who's healed him. But we're going to see in a moment that his life truly had been transformed, and we'll see it by the response that he makes. So this man, the Lord reached out to him. He responded in obedience. He took up his bed, and he walked. You know what? God is a God of grace, and he reaches out to every single one of us. The Bible says, we saw it last chapter, two chapters ago, that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The offer of salvation is universal, but it must be accepted on an individual basis. He's a God of love and a God of grace. He's not a God up in the sky waiting for you to make a mistake so he can smoke you. That's not our God. He's a God who loves you. He that knows me best loves me most. He knows every sin you've ever committed, and he loves you anyway. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. That's the God we serve. This man was desperate. No man had come to help him because no man could. And there the Lord came and just spoke the word to him, and his life was changed immediately. And you know what? He didn't even understand fully who it was that had come to him. And he says, the man who came, and they said, well, who is it? The one who healed me did not know who it was because it was Jesus Christ. But look at this sign of a changed life. It says, verse 14, we're almost done. After Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. This is a sign of a changed life. Where does Jesus find this, this crippled man? Where is he? He's in the temple. The Lord shows up, and this man who hasn't been able to walk for 38 years, there's probably plenty of things he'd like to do with his newfound legs, right? Newfound mobility, probably some places he wants to go, some things he wants to do. Maybe ride his camel, I don't know, right? He might have some things he wants to But where does he show up? He's in the temple. To me, this is a sign of a transformed life. It's, I've been touched by the Lord, and what does it do? It draws me to draw closer to him and to get to know him better. When the Lord touches you and you've truly been touched by him, you can't wait to get to know him better. I love seeing what God's doing in some of your lives. You can't get enough of the Word, and that's a good thing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, and there should just be an increased desire and a hunger to spend time with Him, a a desire to become more like Him, to be discipled by the power of the Holy Spirit. And there in this place of worship and fellowship, what does Jesus do? So here He is. He's been touched by God. His life's been transformed. Now He comes to this place of worship and this place of fellowship, and what does God do? He reveals even more truth to Him. And do you know that's what happens to us? 
You know, we give our lives to the Lord, we become new creations in Christ, but when we come to the place of fellowship and worship, through His Word and through time in worship, the Lord reveals even more to us. Amen? Every time we come to church, we ought to be touched by God. Every single time. Prophecy is happening. Not the foretelling of truth, but the foretelling of truth. This is God's Word, and we just share God's Word. It's prophetic, because it's truth. Amen? And when we take God's word and touches our hearts, it transforms our lives. This man comes to the temple. He's in a place of fellowship, a place of worship, and God reveals even more to him. Now, it's interesting to me, though, that he says to him, let me repeat that verse. He says, see, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. I believe that this points to the fact that this man's 38 years of being paralyzed was probably a result of something sinful he had done. Now, let me make this real clear. Sin can produce illness, but illness is not always produced by sin. Amen? That's a lie. People, oh yeah, the reason you're sick is you just, you know, you got some monkey, no, that's noise. That's not, that's not scripturally founded. You know what, Paul, you think Paul kind of loved the Lord? He had a pretty good relationship with God, you think? But he had a thorn in his flesh all of his life, and God left it there to keep Paul humble to keep Paul looking and seeking after God. But there is, at the same time, there are times when our sin has heavy-duty consequences that does produce sickness. You know, if you go out and you're sexually promiscuous, you may end up with AIDS, right? Now, will God for, can God forgive you? Absolutely. Will God forgive you if you come to Him? Absolutely. Will you still be sick? Yeah. Unless God chooses to heal you. So even more miraculous in this lame man's life is this disease was brought on by his own sin and yet God still touched him and transformed his life. Isn't that great? So I, I've been out of God's will. I'm totally out of control. My life's a disaster. My life's a mess. But the Lord still wants to touch you and transform your life. That's a great and an awesome God we serve. He wants to restore our relationship with Him and bring us back into that intimate fellowship with the Father. Grace, Lord healed him of his sin and its consequences, but he instructed him to go and sin no more. You know, we come and true repentance means to turn away from our sin, doesn't it? It doesn't mean, you know, I come up to Eli and, you know, give him a forearm shiver. Oh, dude, I'm sorry. And then whack him again, right? That's not repentance, amen? It's not repentance to continue in my action. The Bible says repent means to turn away, to turn away from my sin. To become a new creation in Christ. To become a different person. That's the sign of true repentance. Lastly, the last three verses here, I want to look at just the rejection and opposition from the Jews. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. Now, wait a minute. What did he do on the Sabbath? He healed a lame man. A guy who'd been sitting on his bed for 38 years whose life was a disaster, who these Jews had no time to minister to. They weren't there ministering to him and carrying him into the pool. They weren't doing anything. They were too busy being holy to have time for this man. And Jesus comes along and touches him and transforms his life, and now they want to kill him because they broke a tradition of man. You know what? May we be careful never to uh, put traditions above the Word of God. Amen? You know what, guys? We're not of Calvary Chapel. We're of Jesus Christ. Amen? And we're not followers of Chuck Smith. He's a blessed man and God's used a mighty in my life. But I'm not a follower of Chuck Smith. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Amen? And there's too many churches out there that have these traditions that were originated by men that get people's eyes off of God. You know, praying repetitive prayer. 
and going in and, you know, praying to false idols and stuff. And only the pastors can understand the word. You guys can't understand it. And, and doing services in another language. What a bunch of noise. It's all these traditions instead of the word. We need to be in the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, not by vain tradition. That's meaningless, and I feel like i got to do this so somehow God will love me. And so this tradition had, happened, had, had taken these Jews, and they put the Sabbath tradition above the Messiah showing up and touching and transforming lives. Man, so easy to get our eyes off of God and get our eyes on tradition if we're not careful. In Luke 14, 5, Jesus said to them, Which of you shall have a donkey or an ox fall into a pit and will not immediately pull him out? On the Sabbath day, these guys as guardians of the faith were called to investigate new teachers and to question them and make sure they weren't false prophets. And that's what they were doing with Jesus. They were coming and they're questioning him to make sure that he wasn't a false prophet. But here's the thing. While that's fine, how should they have responded when they heard Jesus' words? These are men who are supposed to be scholars of the Old Testament. Jesus is the fulfillment. He's the Messiah you've been waiting for. But they were so busy looking at him through their own traditions and and rules that they missed out on the Messiah. Instead of recognizing him, they judged him against their traditions and rituals, and they wanted to kill him. They got away from the word, and they missed the Messiah. If you and I get away from the word, we will miss the Messiah. We'll miss what Jesus is trying to do in our lives. We'll miss those divine appointments that God has for us. We'll be panicking when things get messed up instead of saying, Lord, what do you want to do? How do you want to teach me? Like the nobleman's son who was sick. What an incredible blessing because his whole family got saved and now they're spending eternity. They're in heaven right now with Almighty God forever and ever and ever more. Praise God for his son's sickness. Amen? And sometimes when we're going through difficulties, understand that God wants to minister to us and wants to minister through it to transform our lives and make us more like Him. If you and I get away from the Word, we'll miss the Savior. Last two verses. But Jesus answered them, saying, My Father has been working until now, and I have been working. Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill Him, because He not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was His Father, making Himself equal with God. When Jesus said, My Father, instead of Our Father, used by the Jews, He claimed Himself to be equal with God. The Jews understood what He meant. And they changed their accusation from breaking the Sabbath to blasphemy. And you know, there are many cults out there today that say that Jesus never claimed to be God. Well, here's one of many, 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 many verses where it's very clear that He did. And you know what? He made Himself equal with God because He is God. Amen? Jesus Christ is God. He is the creator. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He always has been. He always will be. He's before all things. Without Him, nothing exists that exists. He's God. He is the way and the truth and the life. And there's no other way, there's no other truth, and there's no other life apart from Jesus Christ. And these guys missed it. He made Himself equal with God. And many, again, say that He never claimed it. Jesus made himself again because he is God. The Jews could not refute his claims, nor they examine him in the light of Scripture and accept him as their Savior. So instead, they tried to destroy him and get him out of the way. And that's exactly what happens today. Jesus came to restore sinful man back to holy God, but most people have chosen sin and separation over restoration. Most people today, Jesus comes to all men and says, I love you. I so desperately want to have a relationship with you. I'd rather die than live without you. But most people say, don't need it. Not not interested. No thanks. 
And I had people, I, I did a memorial service for, for Cindy Siegel recently, and a guy cornered me at the memorial service and said, how could a loving God send, send man to hell? And the reality is that anyone that goes will go because they've chosen it. They will go over the cross of Christ numerous times throughout their lifetime to land there. They'll say, no, I don't want you. The Lord comes again. Lord, I, you know, I love you. Bring people into your path. Tell you about the look. Not interested. I don't want it. No thanks. I want to be on the throne of my own life. Not interested. No thank you. Not interested. And then one day when they stand before God, they'll be given, for the, ver- they'll be given the very thing they've been asking for their entire life. I, want, I don't want you. I don't need you. I have my own way. And one day we'll stand before God and you'll get your own way if that's the way that you choose. So too, again, is the world. Jesus came and they, they don't want to give up the throne of their lives. If the worship team will come on up. So in review... The power of God's word produces spiritual transformation in the life of this, of this crippled man, crippled by sin, who will simply respond in obedience to our Savior. Salvation not based on us keeping man-made rituals and traditions of men, but through Jesus' work on the cross. Our confession of our sin and asking Him to be our Lord. Jesus is still speaking to us today. How does He speak to us? He can speak to us many ways. He leads us by the power of His Holy Spirit that lives inside of us, but He speaks to us in the volume of the book. Amen? You want the answers? When people come to me for counsel, I tell people every time, I don't have the answers, but I know where they are. You you don't want Dave's counsel. My counsel is worthless. I'm just a man. But this counsel, this counsel will transform your life. Amen? This is the place that we go. This is the place that our lives can be transformed. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And next week, we're going to see Christ claims equality with God, that He's equal with God in nature, He's equal with God in power. He's equal with God in authority. And then we're going to see the fourfold witness that he truly is God. Remember that John, the Gospel of John, the emphasis is on the deity of Jesus Christ. We're only five and a half chapters in. And how much have we seen that Jesus Christ is God? Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the transforming power of your word. And we thank you, Lord, that... It's not our good works. It's not us attempting and striving and trying to be good enough so that you will love us. It's that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And Lord, I pray if there's anybody here this morning that does not know you, or Lord, that has fallen away from you, that Lord, by the power of your Spirit, you would draw them back unto yourself. And Lord, that as you ask them the question this morning, do you want to be made well? That instead of making excuses, Lord, that they too would would turn to you. And, you know, I planned on doing this, but real quick, as every head's bowed, just be praying if you know the Lord. If you're here this morning and God brought you here by divine appointment, He loves you so very much. If you're here this morning and you know that you need to be touched by God, that you need to be made well, you've tried to do it from the world's perspective and it hasn't worked. Either you've fallen away from God and you need to be restored to Him, or you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I want you to just raise your hand and I want to pray a simple prayer with you. Is there anybody here at all? Anybody here at all? God bless you. Is there anybody else? God bless you. Is there anybody else? God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? Our God is so good and so loving. And you know what? He brought you here by divine appointment this morning. Is there anybody else? Lord, I just pray for these that have raised their hands, Lord. And whether, Father God, it's a time of restoring them back to fellowship with you, Oh, Lord, it's a first-time commitment to say, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner in desperate need of a Savior. Lord, I pray for your transforming work in their lives. Just touch them by the power of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray that they would not just be converts, but disciples of yours. 
And Lord, I pray that we, their, the body here, would just love on them and encourage them and strengthen them in their walk with you. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We thank you, Lord, for your love and your grace. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, let's stand up and close the worship song.